0: Hello and welcome to Femme On Poetry Theatre. I'm your host, Ada McCartney. Each episode features an interview with a fellow poet wherein we exchange news, share work, speak on inspiration and dialogue about the process of etymological transformation. Thank you for joining us. Hello and welcome to Femme On Poetry Theatre. My name is Ada, and today I'm here with somebody that I've been wanting to talk a little bit more with since um, the summer of 2020, when we were tossed together in a Zoom graduate orientation. And so without further ado, Rosie, hello. Hi,
1: thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be on this podcast. Um. So what's news, what's
0: noteworthy in your world, Rosie?
1: Okay, let me, let me think. First of all, hello internet, my name yeah. is Rosie Acala I am a queer guido, and an editor, and a poet, and um, lately I have been paying my rent by ghostwriting romance novels, which is a hilarious exercise in, like, desire, because you learn that, like, the fantasy of a romance novel is the idea of having a partner that like listens to you and like respects your needs emotionally and sexually you're like like that's it that's the hinge that every romance novel sort of works on and it's so funny because like I and I don't know if you have ever had this experience either, but like I always grew up and I would see like those bodice rippers at the bookstore and be like, oh, those are so corny. Like the people reading these are probably just like sad little old ladies. And then I started actually working on them and realized that like, A, there's a huge community of romance readers out in the world. Um, and also B, that like they are still genuinely good stories, even if they incorporate like certain tropes. Um, so, yeah, that's probably been the biggest thing that I've been working on. Um, I've been trying to shop my thesis novel around. It's a hybrid novel about queer guidos attempting to film a reality show in the summer of 2009. Um, it's loosely inspired by Jersey Shore. And, yeah, that's that's been the big things with me, honestly. Um, being able to write full time has been probably the coolest thing that's ever happened to me um because it lets me do cool things like this
0: fuck yeah fuck yeah Rosie um I I love what you're saying about about the hinge of romance novels and it makes me want to go to the grocery store and just pick up the first one I see and read it um somebody buy this novel it has to be in the world
1: thank <laughs> you I mean I know and I've been shopping it around since like I think July of this year so it's only been like six or seven months and I know that it's just one of those things where it's like you got to find the right person you got to find the right press or whatever and it's but it's still like it feels like such a slog some days. but it, that's like the eternal struggle like Sisyphean struggle of being a writer right is this idea <laughs> that like you have this thing that only you could have written and then you fling it out into the world and then someone even just like one person just like catches it but yeah and there's that that very
0: real sort of umbilical cord that has to get cut once you once you release it into the world or start shopping it around um so going back to that 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 uh being a writer i want to know what's your what's your poetry what's your writing origin story Rosie
1: oh that's a really good question I so I am one of those like corny well I was a corny child who would like always want to make my own books and kind of just do that as an activity um like I remember in like first or second grade we had like it was it was something called like publishing workshop where you would like make these little like laminated booklets like you would come up with a story and then like the teacher would like give you a piece of construction paper to make the cover and then she would laminate it and like do it like get a little spiral bound like chip clip binding and you could clip it together and you would have a book and i just thought that was the coolest and most magical thing that has ever occurred like everyone else was like oh yeah this is cool whatever i was like straight up losing my mind like So I think I've always just had this impulse to write and document and record. I love journals. I love pens. I I love the analog feeling of just like writing. I'd say I started taking myself seriously as a writer in high school. I went to um, this like writing summer camp at the school of the Art Institute. And it was just like two weeks of just like writing around Chicago and like taking these mini like workshop classes and I'd like gotten a scholarship so I could go there and that was kind of the first time that I realized that like I had a skill that could like allow me to go places kind of so that definitely encouraged me and then yeah I just kind of kept with it and then with grad school it was 2020 everyone was baking bread and I was just like what if I fuck around and go to grad school like what if you do like, that was literally my thought process. And it's so funny that it it feels funny to me that it worked. But also, like, I feel like re- no matter what I do, writing is always the one activity that I come back to. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of my driving impulse behind it. That, And I'm just, yeah, I've just always loved, like, storytelling and pop culture. Like, when I was a kid, I would, like if I watched a movie and I didn't like like the ending at night when I was falling asleep, I would kind of like rewrite the ending in my head and like try and make it better. And that's just kind of been an impulse that I've always had. I can't really pinpoint the specific origin. Mm. That's a
0: beautiful origin story. When you say you're surprised that grad school worked, what do you mean
1: by that? I, so Academia has always been kind of a hard space for me to inhabit because I want it. I want it to love me so badly, but like, I've always struggled in like traditional academic settings with like GPAs and like actually having to like write research papers. So before I applied to Naropa, I applied to the U of M Helen Zell Writers Program because that's supposed to be like the writer's program that's not iowa right i was like there's no way i'm going to iowa i was like i could hang out in ann arbor though like i'd been there a couple times for like just being from michigan you know but and in, like interested in literature that's always where people kind of tell you to go so i applied and i did not get in and i was so sad i was like devastated Mm -hmm. I was, like, 22, 23 at the time, and I I remember just being, like, I'm screwed. My life is over. What am I going to do? I'm going to be working at a bookstore for the rest of my life. Like, and then one of my friends from SAIC, where I went to undergrad, emailed me and was, like, you should, like, don't be so hard on yourself. Like, academia is always going to be kind of weird and hard to navigate, like, give yourself a vacation, check out this place called Naropa, and she sent me the link to the summer writing program, and I was like, oh, that sounds really cool, and then I was, like, flipping through the website, and I saw the section about being a low-residency student, and I was like, wait, so, like, I wouldn't need to, like, uproot my entire life to go to grad school, like, I could low-key, like, do this in the bedroom at my parents' house, like, that sounds rad and then I applied and got in and the pandemic happened so it was just like this whole new level of like okay now what so yeah it's kind of like it just feels impossible to me that I have this like extremely fancy piece of paper that denotes that like I can have a consistent writing pro like process
0: I thanks for sharing that story. First of all, um, that's kind of a vulnerable experience. And it's one that I find deeply relatable. Um, I graduated from undergrad, waited 10 years, and then was like, well, I've always wanted to go to grad school. This seems like a good time. And the reason Naropa is the only grad school I applied to. And the reason that I applied is because I didn't have to take a test. Yeah, I didn't have to like there was no gigantic like comp test at the end of it. It was academia light is how I felt about it.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> um,
0: so speaking of the thesis and speaking about the consistent writing process that you've developed, would you like to share a bit of your thesis with us? I understand that it's recently a chunk of it is recently published.
1: Yeah, I would love to. So kind of the introductory poem prose piece got published on um, this website called Jake Mag that does really cool like hybrid um, poetry and prose pieces every day. So this is overture somewhere in New Jersey 2009. It's a weeknight in August. The sun sets as you're looking your shellac spray tanned best. You've conned your body into a half off wet sealed body con dress. There are sequins scratching against your ribcage, but the lime green light is shining for you and you alone. Summer is swilling the dregs of you around. The air smells like an oceanside locker room full of seaweed and grotesque adolescent aftershave, salt, human, and oceanic. You skip the lines at the club and press the small of your back against the railing that separates you from the VIPs. The cool metal is a fuck you to Ashley from high school, who told you good luck getting famous. Your arms are sloppy around his veiny orange neck. They say the juice heads do it best, but he wouldn't even pay for your funnel cake. And when you said, let's go on the rides, he said, I'm not really a rides person. And who does that? What the fuck? Ferris wheels are beautiful. Two, concept. Trap six people in a dilapidated shore house, con the landlord into giving you reduced rent by saying he'll get a fully staffed t-shirt shop. Lower them all with promises of love and a closet full of complimentary bedazzled track suits. Slip condoms like mints under their pillows. Cut the Wi-Fi, but keep the Costco-sized bottles of tequila flowing. Bring a camera. Real love's a hungover errand. It's Sunday morning, you're doing laundry, and the lights are too loud. The, lo- the washing machines are wheezing emphysemic, painted the same dull pink as diseased gums. You're wearing old track shorts from high school with saggy elastic and a red ratty sweatshirt. Who knows if you would have been friends then, but she hands you an iced coffee now. There's bronzers streaking down your cheeks. Your new phone is a limp brick in your hand. You've got a boyfriend and he cheats. The summer stretches out before you like a t-shirt on a heat press. You run towards the tide hand in hand. She scratches your palm with a dazzling talon of an acrylic nail. It feels like a blood oath. I love you more than anyone I've ever known. When Joey's hand brushes the space between the bottom of Giuseppe's rib cage and his waist, he brushes it off the same way he shrugs on his tank top. Giuseppe's girlfriend is being a real bitch. She asked if you could move a couch this weekend. He says, hire some movers, but then he's thinking about... The space between spit and sweat and skin. They're at the gump. The gym and Joey's guzzling a purple Powerade. The tarnished glimmer of a chain that his uncle gave you on his 10th birthday says, this is not how a man should be. But they're sitting side by side at the barber shop, studying the crinkle of sunburn around the shell of his ears. His girlfriend texts him, but his phone's on mute. The scissors snip. They promise not to snitch. So yeah
0: I love the musicality and the rhythm of that passage thank you um but just the beyond the action that's happening beyond the images that you're conjuring the cadence and the the flow and the pull of alliteration just I don't know it feels like the waves of the of the Atlantic uh crashing against the shore um. So how did this project evolve from a glimmer of inspiration to to what it is now?
1: So it started as a prompt that I had in a class that was about to write a sonnet about something that someone wouldn't typically write a sonnet about. They wanted something low culture. So at the time, I was like... My way that I was decompressing after like seven hours of Zoom class is that like every night I would watch old episodes of Jersey Shore because it was like the summer of 2021. So things were just starting to open up again. And I told myself that I wanted to have a Jersey Shore summer and just experience like this level of like feral tequila joy that I craved and missed from being like pre-pandemic you know like no one would make jungle juice now and it was something that I just kind of missed in this really weird way so I wrote a sonnet called Jim Tan Sonnet and it sort of snowballed because then there was a different prompt in the following week and it was like write a longer prose piece about something related to pop culture and I was like oh shit what if I take my weird Guido sonnet and I turn it into a prose piece. And then I just sort of kept going and I got this idea of like characters. Like what if it was like a choose your own adventure book where it's like written in second person and you sort of have to like navigate this world of reality TV and what's private and hidden. And also like, then I started thinking about like, homoeroticism and, like, Italian-American communities and how, like, Italian dudes will have these deep, beautiful friendships with other men and still be really homophobic. And then I was like, well, but what if they were actually, like, in love? Like, what would have, how would Jersey Shore sort of have changed if there was this, like, queer element to it? So that's when I added the romance with Joey and Giuseppe, and it became this larger project about not only reality tv and how it functions and how it sort of feeds on the on the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves but like this investigation of like toxic masculinity within the Italian american community and also like within reality tv so yeah it's a whole big sludgy mess
0: I, got, I get goosebumps when you were talking about about queering Jersey Shore, um, which I have not actually watched, but your re- your writing about it makes me kind of want to watch it. Um, and so I'm I'm curious to start as a sonnet, morphed into a prose poem. How did you come to the place of following this flow of hybridity versus saying I'm going to make this a fiction novel I'm going to make this a romance I'm going to make it a book of poetry what how did you how did you stay true to that like genre bending genre queering impulse in a world that doesn't like queering genres
1: yeah I think that my core even though Like, especially now I write a lot of fiction, but I I go about writing fiction as a poet. So, like, I pay a ton of attention to, like, musicality and the idea of line breaks and, like, how I could make my descriptors, like, short but impactful, but still ground the reader. And with this project specifically, I sort of, I found the need to build a narrative, but I also wanted to explore what I now loosely refer to as guido poetics so it's the poetics of the sludgy the false the loving like the poetics of like being hung over and like inhaling an Italian beef sandwich the idea of like finding poetry and the things that when you look at them initially they're sort of classless and cheap like everyone all the sort of Well, when Jersey Shore first aired, it didn't have a lot of think pieces or anything because the internet wasn't on its um, think piece grind. But like one of the things that I always tell people is that Jersey Shore at its core is um, a show about friendship and building sort of these like weird, beautiful, lasting relationships that have been able to stand up to being filmed for the better part of a decade. And so, yeah, poetry just sort of felt like the natural space for these thoughts and this narrative. Um, Like, there's a lot of scenes in the book that are sort of blurred together and have these little poetic blips because they're either clubbing or they're in the middle of something that is sort of causing them to hurry like they're trying to get ready for a night out or like they're on their they're in a car on their way back from the club so it's like these moments that are captured in smaller glimpses that sort of collage together rather than um like a linear narrative because like when you think back on like a really good night out you don't tend to think about it as we went to point A to point B and then we stopped here it all sort of um try like blends together so I think that's what I was getting at and I'm just realizing it now as I'm talking about it oh the, the
0: constellation or collage element um feels is is jumping out at me but I'm also really struck as you're talking about guido poetics um have you thought about teaching a class somewhere on Guido poetics or like?
1: God, I would love to a workshop. I would absolutely love to. The thing about this project is, I feel like it's the most kind of like me thing that I've ever written, which is why I love it. I love it for like a variety of reasons, but it just feels so true to how I approach the world and that's why it's been so interesting to like watch other people react to it because at, at first I was really nervous I thought people were gonna think it was like dumb or like you know like trashy or like it was just gonna they were gonna read it and just automatically think that it's fan fiction with a line break but like <laughs> the reaction has been absolutely amazing like So, yeah, I would love to, like, teach a workshop or even just, like, I want to write, like, a a larger essay on, like, being a guido and, like, gender and, like, all these sorts of things because, like, I um, am pretty, as I lean into my more sort of, like, butch experimental aspects of my own gender presentation, I always come back to the idea of being a guido and, like, Feeling sexy is just like a dude in a tank top with a chain. So yeah, may it be so. Let's
0: let's put that into the world. Um. So. This this truth, this like accessing the the truest aspect of you in your creative practice. What's inspiring that and inspiring you in this moment as you move the work forward and keep that flame alive.
1: I think um just like the critic the reception of like other people towards the work has really helped me like realize that like it just all it takes is one person and like it might be a long road, but it will get there. Um like, you know, even like I let my mom read a little bit of it and she's like, Oh my god, like this is cool. Like she's not a poetry person at all, just like the reception. From people that aren't necessarily poetry people, or even people who wouldn't pick up a hybrid novel, has been so encouraging. Even like I've talked about it on like TikTok a couple times, and people have been like, "Wait, that's a sick idea!" Just like complete strangers, like so that is so encouraging because like with so much of writing, you just feel like you're like yelling into the void, you know. (laughs) Indeed, indeed, I do.
0: So continuing Guido Poetics, putting a workshop in the world, where where else is the practice taking you? What do you, you visioning? Do you want to share any of your visionings or imaginings or hopes or questions about it? And
1: yeah, I would so I really would love to teach more like workshop style like even just like classes for like an afternoon or two. I do a lot of like zine making and bookmaking. So I've been starting to teach like smaller, just like afternoon long zine workshops about like poetry and collage and like DIY bookmaking practices. Cause like I love that aspect of publishing and like zines as like a vehicle for like self-empowerment. Um, and especially like I've found that I love working with like I'd say like tweens to teens, like middle schoolers and up. Like they really, really, once they realize that it's a book that they can make and they can put literally anything in it, they get so excited and it's really cool to watch. So I'm definitely trying to do more of that. And also just like now I feel like I'm starting to pick up like more actual like performance gigs in my earlier 20s I was definitely very much like I want to be a poet who performs and that's what I want to do Um, but with this project I was kind of like keeping it close to the vest for a while just because it was kind of hard to explain at first like with my quote-unquote like normal poems that aren't part of this project it's really easy to just kind of go to an open mic and like read a little piece or two but like with this like Sometimes you do kind of have to give that preamble. So I'm starting to do more shows. I have a gig coming up with your pal, Jess Kramer on March 4, And I'm so excited. Everyone in
0: Michigan turn out for that.
1: It's going to be great. I'm going to be reading poems between sets, which is actually my favorite way to read is to be sort of like the poetry sandwich between musicians because I... (laughs) I think it like helps people like move between sets and it helps kind of dispel the awkwardness of like waiting for the next band. Mm -hmm. And so I'm doing that and then I'm reading, my friend runs a DIY space and I'm reading some poems at a variety show that he's putting on. So it's going to be me and another poet and then a couple musicians I think there's going to be an actual clown um so yeah I've just been moving more comfortably into like a performative space with this work and that's been really encouraging and then still just kind of like continuing to submit to like chat book contests and all sorts of basically whatever I can scrounge up but yeah um
0: I don't think this episode will be out yet by March 4th. I'm realizing that we're actually getting quite close to March, um, at <laughs> this juncture, but um, even so, I mm, a variety show with a clown. I want to see yeah. that show. But I, I'd like to go back to what you were saying about publishing and, and zine making. And I'm curious about, as you're shopping around on the one hand as you're shopping around your manuscript and sort of seeing what feels like a good fit and on the other hand teaching zine making workshops how are you how are you experiencing the like world and business and process of publishing what's like what's coming up how are you feeling about it
1: yeah that's a super interesting question i So I go back and forth because part of me is like, I want to be able to, so I have a really strange relationship with publishing because not only do I make zines, I worked as a bookseller for four years. So I am familiar with NetGalley. I'm familiar with the process of like getting advanced copies. And like, I, so I know like the business, business side of it kind of. Um, And I know all about like Ingram is the website that most retailers for independent bookstores use to like get books. So basically, even if it's a smaller press, if you can get it on Ingram, it can go to any like indie bookstore in the United States. And also I think Canada. Um, So like that's kind of been my larger goal just from like a convenience standpoint because I have published with like sort of smaller presses before like I in 2019 I released my first full-length poetry book called Referential Body with Ghost City Press um and that's been amazing if you know anyone that's looking to start publishing their work and wants to go the small press route I cannot recommend Ghost City enough they Kevin is a genius and he is so sweet and he works so hard to just get books out into the world every time I need to grab books for a show or something. He's got them packaged at my doorstep within like a week and a half later. Like just the best. So I know that self-publishing is so cool, but also there is this part of me that really wants um, like the labor aspect to be shifted to an outside party and I feel kind of bad saying that but I'm like starting to feel like I'm at the point in my quote-unquote writing career where I'm like I could maybe get outside representation to handle things like purchasing books or like to just get to bookstores in a non-consignment manner Mm-hmm. And it's been really strange to make that leap because part of me does feel this sort of like weird DIY guilt where it's like, well, if zines are your favorite thing, why don't you just publish your Guidos as a zine? But I'm like, but I want everyone to see them, you know? Like. Mm,
0: I do. And that question of labor that you bring up is such an important one because I in that sort of DIY culture that that we both came up in, there's sort of a pride there's there's pride attached to doing it all yourself and the niche sort of specialness of this small thing but then there's this question of like labor and as writers are we are we creating the work are and then does that how does that labor extend to you know publishing circulating sharing shipping logistics um Booking performances versus performing, um, versus you know collecting the merch to take to the performance, and it's such an interesting spider web of labor possibilities. And um, yeah, I think I think I'm interested in that question because I'm I'm also trying to kind of carve out my niche within this spider web of possible labor that one could do as a writer, artist, publisher.
1: And it's so interesting because it's like I love zines and just grabbing a long arm stapler and like making my own stuff. But also there's a part of there's a very real part of me that like recognizes that my energy is limited and like just kind of wants to have one less worry when it comes to book distribution. Mm -hmm. And like then there's then that brings up the whole question question of like accessibility in poetry and like who gets access to these books and like how like what's the print run looking like like will they even do another print run what's the contract like and it's this whole business part that I kind of never anticipated having to think about Mm -hmm. um but it's so interesting and yeah so I'm just kind of looking for like a little a little a little step up like I've I've done the DIY thing and I've loved it dearly but I also see that and kind of feel like that it's time for me to try something a little bit bigger because I also think I can navigate that now um oh yeah yeah like, so thank you yeah it's been wild I published um referential body four years ago so I was like 23 I was pretty young like <laughs> I was an baby with a book. And Mm. now I just feel ready to kind of tackle writing and my own writing from a more professional perspective. And like, that doesn't mean that it's any, that doesn't mean that like, I don't care about it less, or like, I don't want to be involved in the process of it. That just means that like, I want to try for a bigger scope. And that's not bad like
0: word I'm I'm just you said 23 was four years ago um for me 23 was 10 years ago and I think just in the last few years am I coming to this place you're describing of like really being okay with moving out of that small space and taking like taking up space and taking up you know Up other people's time with the work, you know, because there's something too about DIY where it's like I'm not taking up anyone else's time or space. Really, it's it's all kind of right here. But then there's as you expand and take the next steps, there's inherently more community and more more humanity involved. Um, And I'm just I'm so impressed and inspired by by the way that you're describing that evolution.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah. It it's taken it's been wild. Like I I don't know. Like I I don't know if you could feel like this about being a writer, but I can't picture myself doing anything else and I think if I tried to do something else, I would get mad at myself and I would want to just go back to writing. And That's just, huge.
0: Yeah, That's like
1: huge. it's so Yeah, it's just it's so funny even with ghostwriting just like being able to flex the actual muscle of being like I am writing this is what I'm doing with my time even if it's just like a cheesy romance novel has been so cool and like healing because it feels like that's the thing that I'm quote unquote supposed to be doing
0: Mm. the thing that you're supposed to be doing I love that Rosie where can people on the world wide web who might be listening to this interview find you? How can they support your work?
1: Yeah. Okay. So corny, small infomercial. I actually started a sub stack to talk about writing and collage and journaling. I pitch it as a digital crafts corner. So it's like the craft of writing, but also like I do like monthly, like journaling and collage prompts. Um, it's called the Zone, And I made the logo for it on Canva. And you can also follow me on Instagram. It's at Rosie, Acola, A-C-C-O-L-A. And then I can send you the link to um, my first poetry book you can buy it on the ghost city press website it's turning four it's a preschooler. it it feels weird but um yeah um
0: these are going to be some juicy show notes make sure you check out all of all of rosie's links um i know you said you have a tiktok as well
1: yeah that
0: is that some more people can connect with you
1: you can totally reach out to me on the clock app it is i so the bookstore that I used to work at, um we went viral on TikTok. Yeah. Okay. Like 6 million like 6 million people saw like one of the videos. Like it was on the front page of Reddit. It one of the So books what does made, that
0: mean for you as a person in community with this bookstore? How does does that change things
1: for you? It's super Okay, so the weirdest thing that started happening when I was working at the bookstore and this carried over to when I had my other retail job. And also like I would just be like out in public, like at a bar, and people would come up to me and be like, I know you somewhere. And I'd be like, oh yeah, like, you know, I work at this bookstore because it's like a well-known bookstore in Grand Rapids. Um and they'd be like, no, that's that's not it. I've seen you somewhere. I saw you on TikTok. (laughs) This is like so funny. And they'd be like, I love your book recommendations. And I would just be like, like, we would both be freaking out because I'd be like, what, what is even happening? Like, that's
0: incredible. Local celebrity.
1: So thank you, TikTok. Bunny. And we were like, one of our TikToks was on like a little commercial for Book like on the TikTok Instagram page. And we, we're losing our minds because I live with the person who created the Schuler Books TikTok account. Um, that's my roommate, so we're like, it was so funny. I like tagged her in it, and then I went in the comments and I was like, "Oh, you should thank um at Haley for the Schuler Books TikTok because she is a genius." Um, yeah, it's TikTok is so wild, but it's also wonderful in a way because there is it's genuinely like I feel like there's the aesthetic of book talk where like people really want to like have like cool colored sticky notes and like there is sort of like a 10 to 15 fiction books that are in rotation there but then there's like lesbian book talk and like queer book talk and like it's an amazing community of readers that like is just available.
0: You may have just sold me on getting a TikTok account.
1: Honestly, that al- the algorithm is creepy good too. Like once it figures out what you like, like my little like landing page is all just like it's like lesbian books, writing prompts, like videos of guinea pigs hanging out. Like <laughs> it's what so, a combo.
0: Like the it's- Holy Trinity
1: it's really it's such a wild hunk of the internet and I actually would recommend it for people that like to read and like to talk about reading because yeah like anyone can talk about their favorite books and I think that's cool I know some people are like TikTok is ruining reading because everyone's just like reading the same five Colleen Hoover books and it's like can anything
0: ruin reading that's getting more
1: people to read no exactly And like that was another thing that I saw when I worked at the bookstore is we had a table for all the books that we recommended on TikTok and people would go over to it and they would just buy like three or four and be like, you know, I haven't been reading much, but like I like your TikTok videos and I trust your recommendations. So like I wanted to try these and it's like it's getting people to read and like getting them out of like reading slumps like that's awesome.
0: That's really awesome. I I also appreciate that you shared with us that you put together the Substack and created your logo on Canva. Shout out to DIY accessibility and ease. Um, Yeah. And I'm curious for this is very, very personal, very personally as I'm considering the various options. I want to know why you went with Substack versus Medium versus. Patreon and all of the other possibilities out there. Why Substack?
1: So I went with Substack because um, on like a very like real labor level, it gives you the option to like pause payments for people if you don't do your Substack for a month, which is something like, I don't know if Patreon does that. And also you can tier it however you want. So, like, people can pay, I think I have it set at, like, $5 a month or something for, like, exclusive, like, journaling prompts and, like, different essays and things. And it just, it felt super accessible to me in a way that Patreon didn't. On like a, like, somatic, like, I am working on my Substack level, I hate to say this, but it reminds me a lot of Tumblr. It's very easy to use. And it scratches that itch in my brain. Um, I was a Tumblr, you in my youth when I was but a babe. I loved it. And I would spend hours on there like coding and like trying to fix my blog. And like with Substack, it's kind of the same thing where like you can pick the color of the background of your newsletter. And it's super easy to just like throw a photo in and like throw a link in. And yeah, it just seems accessible, but it doesn't seem like I'm shoving content down people's throats, you know? Like it helps kind of ease the like nervousness of putting content out into the world when you're like, oh, it's just a cute little newsletter. Like people can open it or they can't. Like that's okay. Whereas with the Patreon, I'm like, I feel like that's such a big undertaking.
0: A lot of pressure.
1: Yeah. Um
0: Oh, I also really appreciate Tumblr. I think I've only recently come to Tumblr, but it reminds me of everything I used to love about MySpace and early live journal. Yes. So I, <laughs> um, I really appreciate that you brought the somatic experience of making the thing into it, because that I find so often that's what keeps me from doing a thing. If it is challenging for me to engage with Sending my work to your press or creating this thing or putting this out in the world, I'm less likely to do it.
1: Yeah. And that's why Substack is so great because, like, I honestly, I'll just like take notes of whatever I want to write about for the month, throw it in a Google Doc, and then throw it on my Substack and it's there. Like, it takes maybe, if I don't have everything planned, it takes maybe an hour to like fix it up and like put the headings on and like you can insert little boxes that like tell people to subscribe if they haven't already and like all that good stuff and it's very it's very user-friendly and I am fundamentally bad at the internet um I am bad at TikTok. I I don't know how to do like my roommate knows how to do like all the filters and like all the different editing techniques and stuff I only know how to talk at a camera
0: (laughs) that's enough (laughs) yeah um and I'm kind of on that I'm on that that level um with the internet I'm pretty happy to be on that level with the internet yeah um Rosie uh, we're coming to coming to the end of our recorded time together for this podcast episode and it's just been such a an utter joy talking with you thank Um, you so much is there anything else that you want to share leave us with ask put out into the world while we're here i do
1: not okay this is going to sound extremely dumb but one of your questions was like what objects have been inspiring you lately yesterday did you see the very teeny tiny zine that american girl the just American Girl album Yes. I have been thinking about that non-stop. And I recognize it's been it's made me recognize that like A, I'm old. Um, and B, it's like it's so cute because it's just the teeniest little doll-sized zine that you can purchase it. And it's like absolutely precious, and I am just so excited for like the next round of nine-year-olds to just get really excited about stapling books together. Like that just makes my heart so happy.
0: (laughs) I just, I can't imagine how much my 10-year-old self would have lost her mind in, you know, 1998 if my American Girl doll had had zines. No,
1: exactly. (laughs) If I had known that
0: I could make doll-sized zines.
1: I would have lost my entire mind because like I don't know I feel like all of the other American Girl dolls are like they've either been through like a famine like Kristen or like they're like really athletic like I remember when I was a kid like all of the girls of the year were like dancers or like ice skaters and this one just like hangs out and makes scenes and like I'm like that's so rad
0: mmm Good job, American Girl. Good I job. Know. Oh my gosh. Rosie, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right, everybody, subscribe to Rosie's Substack, check out these juicy show notes, and um, go get yourself a zine making American Girl doll.